So, James, welcome to the Before the Court podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Could you please start off by telling us a bit about yourself? Uh, hi, Brittany. Hi, Deeksha. Um, it's good to be here. Um, so, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm James Bell. I'm um, currently the Department Liaison Officer um, in the Office of the Minister for Agriculture. Um, that's a role within the Victorian Government. Um, I graduated from Deakin University um, in 2018, the end of 2018, um, and I did a Bachelor of Laws, Bachelor of Commerce and a Diploma of Chinese Language. Um, I then started as a started my career in government as a um, Victorian public service graduate, um, and I rotated through a couple of different departments and completed my practical legal training, um, and then uh, worked as a solicitor in in house in 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 a litigation role um, for a little over a year, and then started um, the secondment in in my current position, which is as department liaison officer. Amazing. Can you describe what a typical workday looks like for you as um, liaison officer? Um, my work days vary um, a bit depending on um, like key sort of cyclical things that that um, happen throughout the year, like um, like uh, end of financial year or the public accounts and estimates committee hearings, or if it's a parliamentary sitting week. Um, so my typical workday can vary um, a little bit, but but generally it's a lot of um, responding to emails, um, triaging and responding to urgent requests as they come in. Um, a lot of time um, spent on the phone or, or talking in person with um, senior advisors and, and leaders across the department and in the minister's office um, and, you know, discussing issues as they come up and, and um, possible po policy or, or strategic um, approaches that we can use to resolve you know, issues or um, making sure that the minister's got everything that she needs to um, do her job effectively. So my, my typical day varies a bit, but, but yeah. um, it's a... It's a desk job, so a lot of time um, at a computer. No worries. Before you were a liaison officer, you mentioned you went through the Victorian Government grad program. Do you want to describe how um, your journey through the grad program and how you got there? Uh, sure. Um, so in the lead up to um, securing a graduate position in the VPS graduate program, um, I applied for a few different roles um, in my final year of university, um, and I'm not sure um, how across the recruitment process to your listeners will be, but um, the graduate recruitment rounds sort of open around March um, each year, um, and, you know, the, the, the recruitment um, can take quite a long time because there's the initial applications with cover letters and resumes and things like that. But then there's also um, psychometric testing and various interview rounds and assessment centers and thing like, things like that. So I applied for a few different jobs, um, a few different graduate programs in my final year, but the VPS graduate program was the one that um, stuck out to me. Um, it's the one that, that seemed the most interesting and that offered the most um, to me. Um, and, and that was largely because of the, you know, the, the rotation-based sort of experiences that you could have. So you would work with different government departments doing entirely different roles um, throughout the course of a 12-month graduate program. So I was really attracted to that. Um, and fortunately, that was um, uh, one of the ones that I was successful in, in applying for. So I was offered a position and um, um, 
when I commenced the graduate program back in 2019, January of 2019, I, I started out um, in, in my home department, um, which was the Department of Jobs, Precincts and Regions in their in-house legal team, um, which is quite a large legal team. Um, and it was when I started, but it's grown um, quite significantly over the last two years because of the COVID response work that my department's been involved in. So when I started, it was a team of about 30 lawyers um, and that's now grown to around um, 60. Um, and I was doing work right across the branch. Um, so the department's divided into different branches and divisions and things like that, and different teams. Um, but, but I was working right across the branch, which means that I was doing um, a lot of advisory work, commercial work, some litigation work as well. Um, and working as an in-house um, lawyer and as an in-house graduate, you're doing um, a lot of work sort of right across the whole department. And because my department um, does a lot of work in, um, you know, primary industries regulation, um, a lot of commercial work relating to, um, you know, business support and, and grants and things like that, um, a lot of work to do with local government and um animal welfare and, you know, a, a huge variety of different things. So um, as, a, as a graduate in that first rotation, I was um, involved in preparing drafting instructions to um, amend legislation. Um, I was doing commercial work, reviewing and preparing contracts. Um, I was involved in litigation relating to um, freedom of information disputes that had been um, you know, lodged with our department, but then um, the applicants had sought review in, in OVIC and in VCAT. So a huge variety of different things that I was doing, but working in-house, you're, you're working very closely with the clients because, you know, your clients are um, your colleagues. Um, yeah. So getting really involved in, in the different tasks. But then, then after, um, after that first rotation, I moved um, to the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, or DELP, um, and was working as a policy officer there. Um, and I think we'll get into that a little bit further later. But um, my third rotation then um, was, um, again, a legal role, but in-house at a different department, which was the Department of Treasury and Finance, um, which is a central agency, which has a more, um, more of an oversight role and a coordinating function for the rest of government. So you have a broader view of, of what's going on right across um, the um, public service and you're also doing um, stuff that, that's obviously more finance related and tax related and, and things like that. So some really different work that I did there as well. Um, I hope that's a good overview. <laughs> Very good overview. It's interesting actually I think government and how working within government actually is is something that's not really talked about a lot or well known. But it's interesting to hear how many different roles in different areas and how broad that work would actually be day to day. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree with that, Brittany. It's, it's not well understood um, by people outside of government. It's only really once you start um, in a role working um, within the public service that, that you realise just um, how much there is that, that government does and you know, how important that work is. Um, and I think that that's, that's a real shame that it's not better communicated, you know, broadly to the community at large and, and in particular to um, prospective um, employees and, and, you know, recent university graduates. Could you please explain the difference between being a VPS law graduate and being a policy graduate? 
And then could you please talk about how your policy roles um, at Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning were different to your law graduate roles at Department of Treasury and Finance and your um, and Department of Jobs, Precincts and Regions? <laughs> so what were those sort of projects so many. between those departments? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so the policy officer role was, um, as I mentioned, in my second graduate rotation. So it was a four-month um, sort of stint in the um, Land Use Victoria Division of the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. Um, the name of that department is pretty uh, pretty descriptive of, of, you know, all the different functions that that, that department has. Um, but their Land Use Victoria Division um, is responsible for um, the Land Titles Office and the, the um, Land Titles Registry, which you'd have, which you'd learn a lot about um, during your property and land law um, courses. So, and and in addition to that, it, it's um, responsible for the valuation um, and you know taxation of land and stamp duty and, and things like that. So it's quite quite a broad. Um, you know, um, variety of work that happens just in that land use Victoria division, but but also right across the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, it does, um, and, you know, an enormous range of different things as well. Um, and working as a policy officer, it, it's really, um, you know, it, it's a totally different job to working um, as a lawyer. Working as a lawyer, you'll, um, you know, you'll be working on, legal matters you'll be advising your clients um, in relation to whatever the particular issue that arises so at, at djpr and at dtf i was um, advising clients on you know what legislation meant um, interpreting legislation advising them in relation to that helping them to um, you know draft and prepare and negotiate contracts with external providers or, or whatever it was but working in-house as a lawyer is really very, very similar to, I think, working as a lawyer um, elsewhere. But a policy officer role is, is very different again. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, the legal background is, is I think, relevant to any job that you'll do for the, for the rest of your life. Um, but the, the policy officer roles, you're often working on um, specific projects that last over a longer period of time. And you're helping to helping the government help, help them to define, you know, what what the particular issue is, who 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 is affected by um, that issue, and you know what are the potential solutions to um, make it better to fix it, um, and the ultimate outcome of you know everything you do in government, but particularly in in policy focused roles, will be making the lives of Victorians better. Um, so a couple of the key projects that I worked on um, while I was a policy officer at, um, at DELP, um, the first one was to do with the de-identifying of um, what we referred to as at-risk persons on the land titles register. Um, there was a concern um, at the time that people could search on the land titles register for um, a person's name and then find out information about what property they owned um, and where they lived. Um, and obviously that's a concern for people who may have been a victim of domestic violence or people that were well known um, in the community or judges or police officers. 
Um, so um, my job was, was coming up with briefing papers, talking with stakeholders, um, meeting with senior decision makers to, to help um, prepare a, a possible solution um, to that issue. The problems that you deal with as a policy officer, um, just you know, even highlighting that one, you can see how um, nuanced those issues are and how um, complex they would be to resolve. So that's why there's people that um, you know have that as as their job to really delve into that issue in detail and and come up with a solution. Um, the second key project that I had while I was um, um, a policy officer was to do with the addressing um, and numbering of complex sites um, for emergency services purposes. Um, and the issue there was um, in new developments, um, property developments and um, retirement villages and, and places like that, shopping centres, um, they would often have a single address um, on um, the state mapping database on, and on Google and, and, you know, mapping services like that. Um, but actually they were um, much larger sites, which meant that um, emergency services were unable to locate um, persons um, in distress when, when they needed help. Um, and that had resulted in, um, you know, people having to wait much longer for ambulances to arrive, um, and in some cases, people dying because they were unable to be located. Um, so it was a really significant issue, um, and coming up with possible um, solutions to, to that problem was something that I was involved in. Um, and of course, these are these are large projects, and I was only there for four months, so the, so they continued after I left, and there were um, other people more senior than me who were also involved in. Um, dealing with these issues and, and coming up with solutions to them. Um, and, you know, the solutions could range from um, legislative change to, um, you know, better understanding of the issues um, by stakeholders, um, better communication from government. There's an enormous range of possible solutions to, to both of those um, issues, but, but that's sort of um, a broad overview of what you might do working as a policy officer in government. Um, and I think that they're, you know, incredibly really interesting. interesting roles. Yeah. And you, I was you, under the you, impression that if you applied for the graduate program, you could only go into one stream, either policy or the law stream. So can you go into like if you choose law, but then do a rotation in a policy stream? Yeah. Um, in fact, you most likely would um, okay. get at least one non-law rotation um, during the graduate program. And that's something that I think is a real um, you know, draw card of the VPS graduate program as compared with a, a more typical graduate program in a law firm where you'll be doing um, legal rotations um, in the same firm, possibly, you know, in, in, in quite different areas of law, but, but they're always going to be legal roles. And, and I don't know about um, you two or your listeners, but when I finished law school, I didn't know what I wanted to do and I was really keen to... Um, have a sort of broad variety of experience and then following on from that decide where I wanted to go in the rest of my career I didn't want to or I was scared about um, getting pigeonholed early or getting um, an experience in a particular area of law and then um, really having to um, go down that 
as a I career path. Of, yeah, I so. think a lot of students have the same fears as well. It's better to get experience across a broad range of things mm. and see what you like. I, I think so too, and that's something that um, the I think the, the VPS graduate program offers that not really any other graduate program um, in Victoria or even in Australia offers because um, all other graduate programs, you'll be working for one company um, and you'll be rotating through different parts of that company, um, but you won't have that same, you know, variety of experience that working for three different departments um, will provide you. Um, and you can really think of each different government department as an entirely different company. They're, they're enormous um, institutions and you do incredibly different um, work even working for you know different parts of the same department yeah even just those two examples that you gave before of those two issues were so different I think that yeah it, yeah and I think as you said um that with that concern of that you didn't want to get pigeonholed in one particular area I think that's a concern a lot of law students probably feel so hopefully those that listen to this podcast get to hear about the um, opportunities within government and the way that you get to do such a wide variety of work and experience different things yeah I'd certainly commend um, you know all, all listeners to um, look at the different options that are available working in government because um, in my experience they're incredibly interesting uh, very diverse um, and, you know, rewarding as well. And what did what was the transition like from university to full-time work as a lawyer? Did you feel that there was a steep learning curve or did you feel like you could transition into that well? Um, I, I feel like, you know, there, there definitely was a very steep learning curve for me. Um, while I was at university, I... Um, done a lot of mooting um, and I'd done um, quite a lot of volunteer work with Victoria Legal Aid um, but I and, and I also did a, a clerkship just before I started um, the graduate program but, but really that was my first um, experience of full-time work um, in a professional um, work environment um, five days a week and, and that was a real shock to the system for me and I think um, particularly before COVID when we were in the office five days a week that was a, a real shock to the system and it took I think it took me like at least 10 or 12 months before I was actually used to um, you know being in the office five days a week so that's a, first of all there was a real um, shock to the system I, I think that um, in terms of you know the learning curve of actually doing um, the work as a lawyer and then as a policy officer and, you know, doing the different um, roles that I had in my first year of, um, of full-time work, there's definitely a steep learning curve. I did feel that my law degree um, and my studies prepared me um, quite well for, you know, the intellectual side of work and the legal research and the drafting and writing. It prepared me reasonably well um you um once you start full-time work um you you know you, you you will be writing in quite a different way you're not um, writing um, essays and, and exams like you are at university you're trying to communicate in a way that that people can readily understand um, and often um, at law school you're taught to write using a lot of jargon and, and a lot of um, you know excess unnecessary words so I think it. I think it prepared me well, but 
um, definitely there was still a steep learning curve in terms of you know, writing and drafting and communicating. Um, but I think the biggest um, shock um, and, and learning curve was, was working with um, other people all the time um, and working with people who were not millennials, not young people, um, working with, um, you know, senior lawyers who'd been working in the legal sector for their entire career for you know, 30 or 40 years, um, who think in a very different way, who are from a different generation um, and, you know, working with people of all different um, ages and, and people that who are all much more experienced than you, that, that's probably one of the biggest, um, you know, culture shocks or, or, you know, learning curves when you first start out in full-time work. And I think, you know, you'll find that um, in the vast majority of workplaces you'll be working with um you know a very wide variety of people of um, different age groups um hmm. so yeah there's definitely definitely a steep learning curve yeah. I'd, I'd say stepping back um kind of to your law school days did you um when did you first know you were interested in government work were there any particular subjects that um piqued your interest there uh yes yeah there, there was um i really enjoyed my favorite two law subjects um, at Deakin were constitutional law and administrative law. Um, I really enjoyed those types of subjects. They made a lot of sense to me. They were, I don't know if they were my high, my highest scoring, but they would have been really um, high up there. Um, I, they just made sense to me. Um, I was someone throughout university and, you know, how I'm a political nerd and, you know, follow every all developments in politics and find them really interesting. And um, and for that reason, when I was doing constant admin law, they, they just made a lot of sense to me and I was able to, you know, understand the different concepts that we were learning about um, quite readily. So, um, you know, for that reason, I, I really enjoyed them and, and they were two subjects that really piqued my interest in, you know, what, what um, opportunities were available um, working in government or working in, you know, those specific areas of law. Um, and, you know, both of those subjects really, they're just the baseline foundational knowledge that you need for um, working as an in-house lawyer in government. That's what I was going to ask actually, like how how they are used in practice. Do you feel like you draw on those subject areas the most or they were sort of just an introduction to it in a way? I think um, working in-house as a, as a um, lawyer and particularly in litigation, um, a very large um, number of our matters relate in some way to admin law in particular. Um, like it, as a um, working in government, um, but depending on the role that you have, you'll um, be making decisions that, um, under enactments or making decisions that have an impact on um, stakeholders or the community more broadly. Um, and that's really the bread and butter of admin law is you're learning about um, review of government decision-making, the extent of government power. Um, um, and, yeah, they're, they're really just those, those sort of foundational skills that you need um, to work um, as an in-house lawyer. Um, 
So the next questions I'm um, relating to your extra any extracurricular activities you did in uni. Um, I know you did some mooding, but did you do any other extracurricular activities? And did you find that the skills you got from those activities helped um, post um, graduation and in your searches for jobs? Yeah, I think they were absolutely invaluable. Um, the, the things that I did do while I was at uni outside of my studies, um, I, I'd, um, I'd say they're you know, having those extracurriculars on your resume is pretty much essential um, mm -hmm. when you're going for um, clerkships and graduate positions. Um, it's just because of, the, you know, sheer volume of students that are doing a law degree and that are competing for those jobs. It's it's unfortunately not enough to um, just have good results. You need something that makes you stand out from the crowd. Um, so for me, that was my mooting. Uh, my volunteering at BLA um, and my overseas study tours, um, I think were the three main things that, that I did that um, helped me in securing a, a graduate position. And, and I think the mooting in particular actually um, helped, you know, with my confidence and my ability to articulate myself and um, to communicate verbally um, and, and in writing because that's, you know, something else that you learn. Um, while mooting, but the, the, the mooting really helped with my skill set. Um, but the, the three things I think really helped with just getting a foot in the door with interviews and um, in you know the graduate um, program search. So I think um, you know doing those. I, I certainly recommend um, all three of those um, things to to everyone who's doing a law degree. The um, the volunteer work with Victoria Legal Aid was um, really fantastic to work with some incredibly skilled, compassionate um, lawyers on, you know, helping disadvantaged clients uh, on, you know, really interesting, um, re in really interesting areas of the law and actually seeing, you know, face to face, which um, you don't get in most areas of law, um, what an enormous impact your skills can have on, um, you know, clients from from disadvantaged backgrounds, and, and I felt found that um, I volunteered over two years and um, found that to be incredibly rewarding uh, work. Um, Community legal centres, um, in general, I guess. I volunteer yeah. at Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, and they opened a new um, um, office in Dandenong where there's like a really high concentration of refugees, and I found that like I've really enjoyed that so far. Yeah, I think that would be um, incredibly rewarding as well, teacher. Um, the, the work at Victoria Legal Aid um, is, is, I think, very, very similar to the type of work that you do at a community legal centre. Um, so I, I think, first of all, working at that um, and volunteering with, with some of those um, organisations can be a great you know, way to build your experience of actually working in a, a professional work environment and see the, you know, the, the different types of matters that come up um, working um, working in that area of law. Um, in terms of overseas study tours, there's, um, I think Deakin does this better than um, a lot of universities. There's an incredibly large number of um, opportunities available to um, Deakin law students to, and particularly if you're doing, you know, a double degree in arts or commerce, um, there's a very large number of um, overseas study tours you can do or short courses or exchange programs. Um, 
and they're, they're made very accessible um, in some parts of the world because of um, you know government subsidies which are, um, you know make it accessible to um, a much larger number uh, larger number of students than they might otherwise be um, so I studied twice in China um, first time doing a commerce unit a short-term commerce unit over a um, over a two-week period during the mid-semester break. Um, and that kind was, of like an intensive? Yeah, like an intensive unit. And that was really interesting. Um, I went to Chengdu and, and studied with, um, it was like 100 students from all around the world. So really, really great opportunity to network with people from you know, very different um, countries and from different degree backgrounds. Um, that was really interesting. The second time was to study Chinese language um, in Nanjing for two months and lived there for two months um, and then travelled and, and lived with my partner's family in China for um, six weeks after that. So that was a really, you know, it was a certainly a long enough time to have a real cultural um, experience in another, another place and that was really um, invaluable. Um, and the third study tour I did was to Japan um, to study another short-term um, intensive program in Tokyo for three weeks with um, the Mitsui Corporation. And um, we were doing classes with, with them and, and, um, and with some other um, Tokyo University students and we um, had the opportunity to um, visit some of the Mitsui-related entity sites, so um, like their steel mills, um, um, and foundries and things like that, which was really fascinating. Got to go to the Toyota factory um, um, and see, you know, Toyota cars being manufactured on a production line. It was just a really interesting um, experience and, you know, outside the box program that, that, that I got to do. And, and anyway, for, for all of those um, study tours, there was assistance provided in terms of scholarships and um, help loans and things like that. So, so I'd certainly recommend um, students to look into what sort of overseas study tours there are because they're just a great way to break um, break up your studies and to do something a little bit different and then they really do stand out um, on your resume and, and help you to get a foot in the door. And the last and I think most important thing for all students to look into is, is mooting. Um, mooting to be, you know, absolutely invaluable throughout my, um, my studies. I really enjoyed you know, delving into the detail of the problem and becoming totally invested in a, in a, um, you know, a mock legal um, issue over the course of a, a few months or, um, and, 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 you know, competing against other um, law schools from around the world or from around Victoria. Um, and, you know, it just, you know, felt fantastic when you, once you've done all that hard work and all that preparation um, with your with your partner um, doing the the that you're doing the MOOC with, and and then when you get up there and you're um, presenting and you're confident and you know what you're talking about, it's just a really um, fantastic way to build up your advocacy skills and um, your you know your oral communication skills. I think mooting is a, is a really great way um, to you know build up all of all of those skills, but but also a great way to network with people that are working in the. Um, in the profession who, you know, might be judging or arbitrating your moots and, um, or coaching you or whatever it is. So um, certainly recommend people look, look into um, things like the Vismoot um, and the, the um, Alfred Deakin um, International Commercial Arbitration Moot that Deakin um, helps to run. 
you know, and some of the other junior moots and things that are run by the DLSS as well. They're, they're all, you know, really valuable opportunities to build up your skill set. And I really highly recommend mooting to, to everyone. I think the biggest difference is when you've got a moot problem, you're sitting there and you're living and breathing it for so long. It's different to when you're doing an assignment where you've got to have that all done, handed in within the space of a couple of weeks, whereas you can actually go right into the problem like what you would in practice. And I think um, there's a lot of a lot of students that haven't really heard of the opportunities to do the Vismoot or the Alfred Deacon Moot and might not know what that is. So could you just quickly explain um, what the Vismoot is and what Alfred Deacon is and sort of that area of law? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so both of those two examples that I gave relate to um, um, the international arbitration sort of area of law, um, which is a, a very relevant area of law for large companies that are operating internationally um, across um, across borders, um, and, and it's it's sort of a um, an area of law that really relates to um, contract law um, and um, quite a little quite a lot to do with um, international law as well. And it's when parties agree, um, you know, in, in large contracts for supply of goods or or whatever it might be um, if there's an issue if something goes wrong um, rather than having the the issue settled by um, a domestic court like you might normally if there's um, disputes that arise within um, a particular country rather than doing that um, they'll agree to arbitrate it in accordance with with certain rules and there are um, large um, arbitration institutions that that help to facilitate that um, and what the um, the international commercial arbitration moots relate to um, are you know problems that that um, you know mock, mock problems that that come up in um, in that space relating to that area of law um, and the visa moot for instance is a very large competition the um, between uh, it's, it's something like 200 law schools from around the world that um, that compete in the Vismoot. The problems drafted by really eminent um, international commercial arbitration scholars um, based in Europe. They prepare the problem, um, very lengthy problem. It's released something like three or four months out from the actual oral, oral rounds in the competition, and, and then all these law schools from around the world they'll. Um, so decide on their teams and they'll, they'll select um, students from, from the universities that are prepared to invest the time and energy into um, studying this problem in depth, preparing written submissions, lengthy written submissions, and practicing for the oral rounds, which, which take place in um, Hong Kong and in Vienna, um, competing against, you know, all these hundreds of other law schools. Um, and you know, hopefully going through to the final and and, um, and winning. <laughs> and the, the ICA moot similar, relates to a similar area of law, um, but um, it's, it's a smaller competition. It was when I was at Deakin, um, just I think almost limited to Victorian only teams, but um, it's since, since then it's grown. And, and now I think it includes some teams from other countries as well, which is, which is really fantastic. 
It's been expanding every year, so it's become more and more internationally focused. And this year, we've actually, we are going to have a lot of African moot teams joining as well. So there's an initiative called Africa in the Moot, where um, quite a few Deacon students actually are coaches of African moot teams who participate in the Viz Moot, and quite a lot of those African um, teams are interested in participating in Alfred Deacon this year. So yeah, it's growing each year, which is exciting. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, alongside this opportunity to, um, you know, improve your legal skills and your, your advocacy skills, you have the opportunity to network and meet people from other parts of the world and students that are like-minded like, like yourselves and that are um, passionate about, about mooting. So I think it's a really great opportunity. And we wanted to move a bit of a different question, sort of going back a bit. So you told us that you've, you did a Bachelor of Commerce and um, Bachelor of Laws, and you also did the Diploma of Chinese Language. So could you please tell us um, what made you do the Diploma of Language and how do you feel that this has helped you in your career so far? Well, the main reason that I decided to do the Diploma and rack up an additional $12,000 on my hex debt was um, because my partner's um, Chinese. She's from China. Her family's Chinese. Um, and I... Um, wanted to be able to communicate um, with her family when we went back to um, to China. Um, um, so that was the main reason that I decided to do the Diploma of Chinese, but it, um, it really, it was another, it, it, and it was also a really interesting thing to study. It was, it was totally different to studying law, totally different to um, anything in my commerce degree. Um, and it was a real... Um, you know, a break from from studying those subjects. So it was it was it was really interesting to to learn and to study. Um, but it, it it was another thing on my resume that helped me to stand out um, from from the crowd when I was applying for um, graduate positions. And it, um, I think it was a, it was something that helped me to get a foot in the door when I was applying for clerkships and when I was applying for graduate positions. So. Um, yeah, really, really glad I did it, even though I don't um, practice um, um, in any law that relates to um, China and um, I don't have any Chinese clients or anything like that. So it's not really relevant to the work that I actually do. Um, I think it I think it did. It, yeah, it came up once in one of my matters when I was working, like it was relevant um, in one of my matters when I was working in-house at um, the Department of Jobs, Precincts and Regions because we have um, one of the many things that DJPR does is um, manage the overseas offices that the Victorian government has in different countries. Um, and those offices, the um, commissioner's offices are, are tasked with um, um, improving trade and investment within Victoria um, and, and, you know, marketing Victorian producers to um, overseas offices. And um, in one of the matters that I did related to the lease hire for a, um, for a vehicle for um, one of the offices in China and <laughs> having that Chinese background was relevant when we were reviewing um, a translation of the Chinese contract. <laughs> so... Still um, relevant. It, it was relevant. It was re relevant once. <laughs> <laughs> and you might. For learning a language is such a great skill to have, mm -hmm. even just going through that process and learning a different languages. Yeah, yeah. really amazing. Yeah, so um, 
outside of law, what do you think your interests are outside of kind of your career and um, outside of practice? Do you have, um, how do you maintain a work-life balance and what keeps you motivated? Yeah, um, I think it's absolutely vital to have interests outside of um, law. I think law school in particular is an incredibly competitive um, environment for a lot of students um, at at Deakin doing a degree, they will have come straight out of high school, um, which is an incredibly competitive, you know, stressful experience, and then gone into doing a law degree, which is um, an extremely competitive degree to be doing. Um, so I, I think it's really in, important to have interests outside of law school, um, things that you're passionate about, um, and and to also. Um, try and maintain that balance and particularly once you start working, try to maintain a balance between your work and, you know, your things outside of work and the things that you're interested in. So um, for me, I've got a um, lovely partner and now fiancé um, and we get along really well together and we're um, buying a house together and we've got a dog. Congratulations. Um, puppy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, we've got a little Maltese Shih Tzu puppy who we love dearly. Um, got during COVID. It's just a bundle of joy. Um, and in terms of hobbies, I'm a mad keen hiker. So I go away um, as, as often as I'm able to into the high country and the Grampians and Wilson's Prom and all around Victoria and, and um, interstate to, um, to hike and get away into, into nature and camp out and cook up a meal and, and everything so I, I love um, I love hiking um that's something that, that I do to help um to help really recharge and take a break from um from working full-time um yeah, yeah so so it, it, it's always it's always a struggle um, and working from home can make it even more of a struggle yeah because it's harder to to actually switch off and it's easier to be checking your emails right through um the evening and responding to people that you know, ten o'clock at night, but it's 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 important to try and, and set a set um, boundaries when you can, and um and you know switch off and and focus on things that aren't work and focus on um, the people you love and the people that love you and focus on maintaining your hobbies and, and things like that. Do you have any specific advice that you would give current Deakin students that might be interested in? pursuing a similar career path to you or um, working in government, were there, would you say there'd be any application tips for students who would like to apply or even just anything that you wish you knew when you were going through university and then deciding what you wanted to do? Um, I think that the number one tip is, is having something that makes you stand out. So having, um, you know, mooting or overseas study or um, another language or, a, you know, a unique hobby or interest or, or, you know, something on your resume that will make you stand out. Um, and, and it has to be, you know, something something real, something genuine. Um, but, you know, having something that makes you stand out is going to be a plus for anyone applying for any um, career um, following on from law school. Um, for people that are interested in pursuing um, a career path similar to mine or interested in, in roles in government, um, I think getting a foot in the door with um, groups like Victoria Legal Aid or doing um, work with a government body um, like a you know an agency or um, a local council um, 
there's there's a lot of jobs that are advertised um, for you know junior sort of entry level positions. So if, if you're not if, if you're not going towards a graduate program um, or if you're not successful in, in securing a graduate program, there's plenty of other opportunities to, um, you know, get a foot in the door in government through other sort of entry-level positions. Um, so it, I think it's a really... And, and once, you, once you've got a foot in the door in government, it, it becomes much easier to see what other um, opportunities there are um, and to sort of work your way to where you want to be, if that's an you know, an in-house lawyer or if it's in, in a policy-type role, as long as you've got a foot in the door, um, you can then sort of um, work your way to, to where you want to be. Um, but, but I think that, I think the, the, you know, things that you can do to um, get a good job in government are, are quite similar to getting a good job anywhere else. It's, it's um, you know, having having good marks, having something that makes you stand out on your resume, um, being interested and passionate in the work that that organisation or that institution does, really understanding, um, you know, the, 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 the types of things that, that they do. Uh, um, I think, you know... All um, pretty general. All of the above, yeah. yeah. That all kind of applies to, to jobs in general. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm certainly happy if, if there are... Um, people that are listening that are interested in um, talking more with me about my um, experiences, I'm, I'm more than happy for them to reach out and, and uh, you know, talk about what um, what might be a good way for them to make them stand out or what things they should include in a cover letter or, or things like that. I'm always happy to um, share my experiences. Thank you for your time today. We really appreciate you um, taking out your lunch break for us to talk no, with us. My pleasure, teacher. Um, we just have one final question if you want to answer it. Kind of a funny question we ask um, guests. If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? The why is yeah. important. <laughs> yeah, thank you for giving me a heads up that this question was going to be asked. A hard one. Because um, if, if you asked me it on the spot, I wouldn't have. I would have had to really think about it. Um, I, I decided if I was going to have dinner with three people, I'd include Douglas Morton, who was the um, the polar explorer, the Australian explorer who who was um, who visited Antarctica. Um, I think he'd be a really interesting person to have dinner with. Um, I'd include Penny Wong. I think she'd also be really interesting to talk to and, and hear about Foreign Minister now. You know, vision for the future of the country. Um, and the third one, Quentin Tarantino, because I'm a big oh, Tarantino fan. <laughs> be good to talk to him about um, his upcoming movies. <laughs> we love your great answers to these questions. They're all so different. Are they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also different, but yeah, I think it's a great question, but it's also not the easiest to actually narrow it down to three people and think about who you would say yeah, and why. It's tricky. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. Well, it was my pleasure. Um, thank I you. hope that, that, that thank you so much. Interesting and insightful. Definitely insightful. Thank you.